everyone, and welcome back to the Legal Matters Podcast, brought to you by the California Association of Realtors. I'm Jana Gardner, here as always with my colleague Dana Spears. Hi, everyone. We are back with you after a bit of a break, and we hope that you and your families are all staying safe and healthy out there. Absolutely. It's really good to be back. This month, we are going to be talking about everybody's favorite form, the COP. That's the Contingency for Sale of Buyer's Property. This form is pretty complicated and we have a lot to say about it. Yeah, this is definitely one of the most complicated forms in the library and one of the most frequently asked about on the hotline. And still now, maybe now more than ever, getting a ton of calls on the COP and contingent sales. So I think it's a good time to really dig deep and get into the details of how this form actually works. Yeah, I think a lot of people will be very happy to get more information on this particular form. I sure hope so. But first, before we dig into it, let's check in on some current events and breaking news. So now is a good time to check in with you all. It's been a few months since I've had a chance to talk to you or since either of us have. And we should do some catch up on what's happening out there in the field, in the market, obviously, with the pandemic going on, the way business is done has changed pretty drastically over the past four months. Um, And I'm sure you all have been just as overwhelmed trying to keep up with it as we have been. (laughs) The stuff is changing every day, every week. Uh, So we know how tough it is for you guys out there and just wanted to take a chance. We're not going to focus on that today because I'm pretty sure you've been inundated with, um, you know, COVID related content over the past four months, but did want to make sure in case you have any questions that you knew about the different resources that we have available for you at CAR, because we have quite a bit. (laughs) Tons. Yeah, tons of information. So we want to point you in the right direction. Um, The main thing I would suggest for people who want to know what's happening, what are the current showing guidelines, what are the current eviction rules, uh, because these things change constantly, the best thing you can do is go to car.org, and right at the top, you'll see a big banner for COVID-19 updates, and one of the links is for COVID-19 legal documents. Mm -hmm. Takes you to a page, car.org slash risk management slash COVID legal docs. That is your one-stop shop for all of the legal department's content relating to COVID-19 and all the crazy rules you have to follow and hoops you have to jump through to show your properties and do property management and do your transactions right now. So Right. And it has great links to some of the FAQs, frequently asked questions, things like that. Absolutely. And it's also a good place to see what our upcoming events are. For example, coming up on August 4th, we're gonna have a special legal live webinar by popular demand, uh, focusing on COVID-19 and how it affects the eviction process. Cause that's kind of a mess right now, as you might've heard about. It really is. Uh, It's really causing everybody a lot of headaches. So uh, if you go to that website, you can register if you wanna know what's happening with the courts and evictions. me and another one of my our colleagues in the legal department, Amanda Bian, are going to be going over the entire impact that COVID-19 is having on landlord-tenant issues and evictions in particular. And rumor has it we may have a special guest appearance um, from our boss, Ms. June Barlow, um, checking in and letting you know about what's the current legal status of these laws and what did you expect going forward from these developments. So it should be a good one. Definitely check that out if you do any property management or deal with tenants at all. And then also just go to that site, like Dana was saying, 
so many good resources, um, charts that tell you what the different showing rules and eviction rules are depending on the city and county where you're located, um, FAQs on opening up offices, on showing properties. It's just a really good resource. So I highly recommend car.org slash risk management slash COVID legal docs. And then as always, give us a call on the hotline if you want to talk about any of these things in particular. Perfect. All right. So for today's main topic, we are talking about the COP form, Contingency for Sale of Buyer's Property. Like we said, this is one of the most complicated and sometimes confusing forms that we have in the CAR library, but also is extremely important. If you have a client who is either unwilling or unable to purchase a house without first selling property they already own, which is true for a lot of people that they, if they already own a house, they probably need to get some money out of it before they can make another purchase. Then you want to make sure that the COP is included in any offer that you write. So first things first, before we even get into the text of the form itself, um, sometimes people wonder, well, how do I add this form to my contract? How do I tie it into the offer? You want to make sure that if you're using the RPA, the residential purchase agreement, paragraph four, there's a checkbox to say that this contract is going to be contingent on the sale of buyer's current property. You check that box, you attach the COP. So that's how you bring it into the contract. And then once you've done that, you'll see it's a page long <laughs> form to deal with a uh, single contingency. You know, most contingencies in the purchase contract are just a single sentence, you know, mm -hmm. about what the, the buyer has, the rights are contingent on such and such circumstance. But here we got a full page explaining what the contingency is and how it works. So starting right at the top, paragraph one. This is where it talks about the length of the contingency. How long does this contingency last for? And you're probably used to the other contingencies in the purchase contract that last for a set number of days after acceptance. So most contingencies, inspection, investigation, appraisal, all of that, 17 days. Everyone's used to that. Loan contingency defaults to 21 days. Everyone's used to that. The COP contingency works a little bit differently. As you can see in paragraph 1A of the form, this contingency lasts until whichever happens first. The scheduled close of escrow of the property being purchased, what we often call the upleg property, so the property you're writing the offer on, the scheduled close of the purchase of the upleg property, or the scheduled close of escrow of the buyer's property as specified in paragraph three of this form. So if buyer is already in escrow and they're set to close in two weeks, then that's when this contingency is up. But if they're maybe not in escrow yet, then this contingency, and they don't have a set closing date, then this contingency lasts all the way to the scheduled close of escrow in the offer that you're writing. So, or there's a blank, you can set another fixed time frame. You can make it 17 days or 21 days if you so chose to, but that's not the default. The default is until scheduled close of either the sale of buyer's property or this property that they're writing an offer to purchase on. And so a lot of people don't necessarily realize that and they think it's a set number of days um, or they you know, expect the buyer to remove it at a certain point. So important to keep in mind that this contingency runs typically throughout the length of the transaction more or less. And there's also language in here that says that if the buyer's property closes escrow during 
the course of the transaction before they're scheduled to complete their purchase, they have two days to provide documentation of that closing to the seller, basically to say, good news, closed on our down leg transaction, closed the sale of our home, we're ready to go and complete our purchase. And then there's also a note here in paragraph 1B, uh, titled Continuation of Contingency, which is the same language that you might recognize from paragraph 14 of the purchase agreement itself. And it basically clarifies that this contingency works the same way as all of the other contingencies in the contract, meaning that it requires active removal, can only be removed in writing. So basically, let's say buyer's escrow is scheduled to close in two weeks, doesn't mean that this contingency disappears in two weeks, just means that they that's the deadline for them to remove the contingency. Um, and then one other note that's important in 1B of this form that a lot of people don't necessarily realize is that even if buyer elects to remove this contingency, the seller still retained the other rights contained in this document. So basically, if as we get through, you'll see that the seller has certain rights to give the buyer notices to take actions. The buyer can't just remove this contingency and say, aha, seller, you know, you're locked in. Once this form is introduced into the contract, it gives both the buyer and seller certain rights to give notices and take actions during the course of the transaction. Um, a lot of moving timeframes <laughs> built into this contract <laughs> we're going to get into. And that's what makes it so fun and interesting. So that's where we start off with length of contingency has to be removed in writing. Um, and the parties have certain rights to hold each other to timeframes throughout the transaction. So paragraph one is very important. And then you move on further into the meat and bones of this um, contingency. Paragraph two and three, you'll notice are either or type paragraphs. Paragraph two, you complete if your buyer's property is not yet in escrow. And paragraph three, if it is. Now, if your um, buyer's property is not yet in escrow, you want to complete 2A and advise whether or not the property's listed for sale. If it is listed for sale, then you have to include the listing broker's information and the MLS number. Now, 2B, you'll note, gives the buyer 17 days after acceptance to find your buyer and enter into escrow. That's by default. Um, that can be changed if you are in an area where you think that you may need more time or maybe you're in a situation where you'll need less time. You can change that number of days um, on the contract, but you want to be careful and make sure that you select the proper number of days or leave it as the default 17. Mm -hmm. And just one other thing I want to note here, um, which is this paragraph 2B gives you a certain number of days to get the property into escrow, but it also then says not only will the buyer get their property into escrow, but they will provide seller with documents that prove the properties in escrow. What's defined here is the escrow evidence. So this is a question we get on the hotline a lot where people are sometimes surprised to realize that this section of the contract of the COP actually obligates a buyer to turn over copies of the contract, escrow instructions, and all related documents to the seller so that the seller can see not only, okay, great, they got their house in escrow, but what are the terms of that contract? What are their yes. time frames, right? Like how strong mm -hmm. is this contract? So, um, you know, it does give the seller quite a bit of rights to uh, keep track, keep tabs on, let's say, the buyer's yes. 
property uh, once they get it into escrow so they know what's going on on that side of things. That's exactly right. And you would need to do that within the period designated. Uh You have to give that escrow evidence to the seller at that time. Exactly. And if when you're writing up the offer, the buyer's property is already in escrow, even better, then you go down and check the box in paragraph three and tell them this is the scheduled close of escrow date. This is the escrow holder and the escrow number. And then here in 3B, buyer has five days after acceptance to deliver to seller that same escrow evidence we just talked about. So if the buyer's already in escrow, they give the escrow holder's name and information up front, the scheduled close of escrow date, and they agree that within five days after their offer being accepted, they'll provide all the contract, the escrow instructions, and all related documents to the seller again. So the seller can see just how strong (laughs) the offer is on buyer's property and, and what kind of shape that escrow's in. Exactly. And you'll see that term escrow evidence appear in several different provisions Mm -hmm. on this contingency. And every time that's exactly what it's referring to the contract, the escrow instructions and all related documents. Yep. So the next provision is the cancellation of buyer's property. This is provision number four. And Mm -hmm. what it's basically saying is that if the buyer's property cancels, after the buyer has entered into escrow to sell his property and if it cancels for any reason either the buyer cancels or the buyer's buyer cancels then you know he has to immediately alert seller of that right. so that's the obligation that is within this so buyer has um, by default two days to give seller written notice of the fact that there's been a cancellation on the sale of his property either by himself or the other party. So that's very important. And that's an obligation that he has to fulfill. Exactly. So let's move on to paragraph five, seller's right to cancel. Paragraph five provides four opportunities for the seller to cancel. The first of these grants the seller the right to cancel if buyer fails to close escrow on his property by the time specified in paragraph one. Mm -hmm. Now recall that paragraph one states that buyer will close on one of two specific dates. If the buyer was in escrow at the time the COP was created, he will have put a close of escrow date in paragraph three. So you'll have a specific date there. If not, then buyer was to close by the scheduled close of escrow on the property he or she is purchasing. So if buyer does not close on one or the other of those dates, then seller has a right to cancel. Now, to exercise his right to cancel, seller must first give buyer a notice to perform, form NBP. And in that notice, seller will ask the buyer to provide documentation showing that the buyer's property has closed escrow. The buyer will have two days to provide evidence that he has closed or else the seller can cancel. Sure. And the next way a seller might be able to cancel ties back to what we were just talking about relating to escrow evidence. So if the buyer doesn't provide the escrow evidence to seller during whatever the deadline is set by the COP, either maybe they had 17 days to get their property into escrow and they didn't. And so that's going to give the seller an out. Or if they were already in escrow and they had that five day deadline to provide the escrow evidence, um, if they don't meet whichever deadline applies to them, seller can give buyer a notice to perform. If they don't provide the escrow evidence, seller can cancel. That's right. 
So yet another way occurs if buyer gives notice to seller of either party's cancellation of contract for buyer's property. So if your buyer is no longer in contract for the sale of his or her property because the deal has been canceled by either of the parties to buyer's contract, then the seller would have the right to cancel. Exactly. And notice on this one, you don't have to give a notice to perform. If the buyer alerts you that his deal has canceled and his property is no longer in escrow, you can immediately cancel using form CC, cancellation of contract. So that one's a little different in that you don't have to give prior notice. You can just cancel. This is one of the only, it might be the only, although I could be forgetting something, but it's definitely one of the only circumstances in which someone can just cancel without sending any sort of notice first. Yeah, buyer comes to seller and says, my house has fallen out of escrow, my buyer's walked away, whatever the reasoning, doesn't matter. Seller can say, okay, here's a cancellation, we're done. They don't have to give them any more chances after that. Right. Almost every other provision does require notice. Exactly. So that is an important difference to keep in mind. Mm -hmm. And then finally, the sort of last way out for the seller to cancel is if paragraph eight comes into play. And we're going to talk about paragraph eight at the end of our discussion of this form, because it's probably the most confusing portion of a confusing form. But uh, paragraph eight allows the seller to give the buyer a notice to take certain actions And if the seller invokes that right, gives the notice to remove the contingencies and take particular actions, seller gives that notice, buyer doesn't do it, then seller can cancel at that time. That's right. Now, buyer also has a right to cancel under this contingency. Sure. Quite certainly. That's why he has the contingency. contingency. (laughs) So it's mainly like, well, what about my buyer? That's Mm -hmm. his contingency. So yeah, the buyer, of course, can cancel. And of course, it's prior to, you know, removing this contingency. Once you've removed it, then of course, you can no longer use it. But prior to removing it, you may use it if buyer cannot close by the time specified In paragraph one, you would be able to use this contingency to cancel. So that might be something that a buyer finds, you know, in that situation is something that they need to do. And also, if buyer's property cancels along the way, now let's say buyer's buyer gives him a cancellation based on a contingency on that contract. This is now the lower leg contract on the sale of buyer's property. If that cancels, then buyer would be able to use this contingency to cancel the upper leg contract. Right. And basically, that's the whole point of the form, right? <laughs> if buyer, that is, if buyer's yeah. unable to sell their house by the specified time period or if the escrow they've entered into falls out, they can walk away from the purchase they're making. That's so, exactly right. Makes sense. All right. So assuming, you know, not talking about cancellation anymore, um, assuming the transaction is moving forward. How does this contingency affect the time periods in the contract? And the short answer is that by default, it doesn't. So paragraph 7A and B talks about 7A time periods in general and 7B timing for the buyer's deposit being put into escrow. And there's a couple of checkboxes in this paragraph. And if you don't check anything, then everything stays the same. Nothing changes. And it just says that time periods in the agreement for inspections, contingencies, covenants, close of escrow, anything else shall begin as specified in the agreement. And then it says, or on the day after buyer delivers to seller any of the following. That could be the escrow evidence for buyer's property entering into escrow. 
um, buyer's written election to begin the time periods or buyer's removal of this contingency. So this is very, really a buyer protective um, section here. If you have a buyer who potentially saying, look, I don't want to start spending money on inspections and appraisals for my purchase of my upleg property until I know at least my house is in escrow, then this is a box they could check and say, let's wait, get my house into escrow, and then I'll start doing my inspections. And, you know, like I said, there's some other options there. They could elect to remove the contingency or begin the time period sooner. But generally, that's why this is here, is if the buyer wants the right to hold off on, you know, their due diligence time period until they know that their house is in escrow. This also can be helpful for lining up the closings because let's say you have a 30-day escrow period here and that clock starts ticking immediately. But what, you know, if you're not in escrow on to sell your house yet, you might end up with some time periods that don't line up exactly right. So this could be useful to make your closing time periods line up better. Um, but again, it's negotiable. You know, a seller might say, no, I don't think so. <laughs> Let's get going. I don't want to wait for you. I'm already right. giving you this contingency. So just something to consider. And right. then 7A, yeah. oh, I was just going to say that in 7A, that very first part does say the time shall begin as specified in the agreement. And it's in mm -hmm. a capital A for agreement, right. which is referring to purchase contract. Yeah. The actual purchase contract. So mm -hmm. yeah. And so, and in that case, as the default as specified in the agreement is as of acceptance. So if you don't do anything, it's referencing back to the language in the original RPA that just says, you know, you have 17 days after acceptance for your inspections and things like that. Right. On the property that the buyer is purchasing. Right. On the purchase, exactly. Mm -hmm. And then 7B works the same way, but is specifically about the buyer's deposit. Default is that buyer's deposit will be delivered to escrow within the time period specified, again, in the capital A agreement purchase contract. Default in the RPA is for three business days after acceptance to get that deposit in. Or you can delay it and say within three business days after buyer delivers to seller any one of those items we discussed. Um, escrow evidence that they've got their house into escrow, an election to begin the time periods, or removal of the contingency. So again, this is very accommodating of the buyer. You know, if the buyer doesn't want to even put their deposit in escrow until they have got their current house, their down leg property they're selling into escrow, they can ask for that and it's negotiable. Someone may or may not agree. Right. Okay. Now let's move on to the sometimes confusing paragraph eight. So provision eight accommodates the seller. Under specific conditions, it permits seller to cancel the contract with the contingent buyer and enter into a contract with a different buyer. Here's how it works. Paragraph eight grants the seller the right to continue offering his property for sale for backup offers. If seller receives an offer he likes, he can accept the backup offer. Next, under 8A, he provides a copy of the signed backup offer to the buyer together with a notice to buyer that buyer must provide in writing the following. Removal of this contingency, the COP, removal of the loan contingency, if there is any, and provide verification of sufficient funds to close escrow without the sale of buyer's property. Now that's pretty tough for most buyers in this position. Yeah but those are the requirements. 
The notice grants the buyer three days to complete these actions. And if he fails to do so, the seller may then cancel. Right. But yeah, so, most buyers, I think, yeah. if they could do that, probably wouldn't have this contingency. Right. In most, exactly. most, most buyers don't have this contingency in here just for convenience. It's because they cannot make the purchase. Yeah, I mean, some can. But some but, can. Yeah. yeah. It's, so it's if possible. you can provide verification of sufficient funds to close mm -hmm. escrow, then you would be able right. to do that. But you also mm -hmm. have to remove this contingency and mm -hmm. remove your loan contingency as a mm -hmm. buyer yeah. and show that verification of sufficient funds within three days. Right. So if you don't do that, then the seller would have the immediate right to cancel the agreement. Yep. Now, the notice to be provided by the seller is conveniently attached to the COP. It's at the bottom of the form and it outlines the actions that the buyer must complete. Mm -hmm. There's a notice to remove contingencies that mm -hmm. the seller gives. And it says the seller hereby gives notice to buyer to remove the contingencies and take the actions specified in paragraph 8A, which is the paragraph we're talking about. So mm -hmm. the buyer would have to remove this contingency, the COP, remove the loan contingency and show verification of sufficient funds to purchase without the sale of their property within mm -hmm. that three day period or the seller would have a right to cancel. Right. And I, it's important to note, you know, to note here, like you just pointed out that sellers would need to use this notice that's built into the COP form. Um, sometimes I talk to people who just say, okay, so we give a notice to perform. We use the, the notice to buyer to perform form, right? And in this case, you wouldn't want to, to for two reasons. One, because the notice to buyer to perform has a default two-day notice period, not three, like this requires. And there's nothing in the notice to perform that addresses, you know, beyond contingency removal, that extra step of providing sufficient funds that they can, you know, or providing proof that they have sufficient funds to close escrow without the sale of their house. So that's, that's right. And even yeah. if you use that and changed it to three right. days, it wouldn't have the it's, proper information. Exactly. So I want to make sure that people are aware of this notice. It's, it's, it's easy to miss. It's down at the bottom and, and often mm -hmm. people call the hotline and they're like, so what notice do I use? And I say, scroll right. down to the bottom of the form and they're surprised <laughs> to see it there. So seller simply dates and signs where indicated and the form itself is then delivered to the buyer. Yeah. Um, like Dana was just saying, you know, th that's a pretty significant right in the favor mm -hmm. of the of the seller. So the default under this form gives the seller this incredibly broad right to, you know, almost at, well, literally at any time. It applies immediately once the offer is accepted. You know, what they, two days later, they could get a backup offer, accept it, and send it to the buyer with this notice and the buyer might be out before they ever, ever even had a chance to perform. Right. I so, mean, uh, an hour later, literally. Right, exactly. So understandably, a lot of buyers say, well, that's not quite reasonable. I don't, I don't want to go through all of this just to get kicked out immediately. Mm -hmm. So that's where 8B comes into play. Um, you know, and just to keep in mind, paragraph eight itself, the, the seller always has the right. They, no matter what you check, seller has the right to continue to offer it for backup. They have the right to accept a written backup offer. But if you check 8B, that's where seller's rights change. So 8B delays the seller's right to invoke these rights, basically. So the default is if you check 8B, seller shall not invoke the notice provisions in paragraph 8A within the first 17 or blank days after acceptance. So if you just check the first box in 8B, you're at least giving the buyer a default 17 days 
to, you know, get their house in escrow, get, get their funds together, be ready to remove the contingencies and make it at least possible that maybe they're going to be able to uh, perform if the seller hits them with one of these rights. And there's a blank there. You could make that longer or shorter. You could make it seven days. You could make it 30 days, whatever time frame the buyer wants to delay. Right. right and for. sometimes buyers think about making the delay the same period that they put in two. Two mm -hmm. talks about the buyer's property right. not being in escrow yet. Yeah. So they have 17 days there where they're looking to find a buyer mm -hmm. to buy their property. And so they try to match that up while I'm doing right. that, while I'm getting an escrow, right. let's delay that period. So right. 20 days there, I want to make it 20 there. It's default right. 17. They're both default 17. Right. Gives them a chance to actually yeah, and, and I think a, a seller feels more secure once the buyer gets in escrow. Exactly. This deal will go through, et cetera. So it mm -hmm. makes sense to line those up. Exactly. But, you know, the buyer might want even more protection. The buyer might say, look, I'm writing this offer and there's just no way. I will not be able to complete the purchase unless I sell my house. So in that case, the buyer can check a second box in paragraph 8b. Check the first box, delayed right to notify buyer. And part one says within the first 17 days or part two, if checked during the term of this agreement, seller shall not invoke the notice provisions in paragraph 8a during the term of this agreement. And that basically just removes paragraph 8a from the contract altogether. It right. says that seller at no time will you be able to give me this three-day notice and try to force me out of the contract? Um, so that's the most protective of the buyer. You know, we talked about how if you do nothing, this is extremely protective of the seller. If you check both boxes in 8B, it's extremely protective of the buyer. So, you know, depending on which side you're representing in your transaction, make sure you read paragraph eight carefully so that you know what rights your client has, whether you're, you know, representing a buyer who is making a contingent offer or a seller who's considering accepting this, paragraph eight can play a big part in, you know, how the transaction moves forward and what rights each side has to stay in the deal or force somebody out. So exactly. definitely, and, you know, 8B, if you just check the first one, that's kind of a happy medium mm -hmm. where you're not sure. being onerous and, and totally being in favor of buyer by kicking it completely out and checking that very mm -hmm. last box during the term of the agreement or mm -hmm. leaving 8B unchecked, it totally in favor of seller. So you're kind of doing a delay where you're getting both you know, parties a bit of time and you know, mm -hmm. but not taking the right away from anyone altogether. Exactly. It has that sort of compromised position available. Yeah. So yeah, that's, that's the COP. I think we talked about it. That is it. And the only last thing is that the buyer and seller both sign this agreement. So it becomes mm -hmm. fully effective and enforceable mm -hmm. um, for during the contract. Right. Yeah. So if you attach it to your offer, you know, if the seller accepts your offer, make sure they've signed on this to incorporate <laughs> exactly. the contract as well. Just, just like you would check any addendum attached to a, uh, a contract you're writing. Precisely. And that's pretty much it. That's it. So this wraps up another episode of the Legal Matters podcast. Thanks to you all so much for listening and for being patient with us during our brief hiatus and rejoining us now that we're back. 
Yeah, we're so happy to be back. And we hope you've enjoyed all of our episodes so far, including this one. And if you have enjoyed them, the best way to make sure you never miss an episode is by subscribing to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. And while you're there, feel free to leave us a review or maybe even a five-star rating. Those reviews and ratings really help other folks find the show and they mean so much to us. You can also reach out to us here at the podcast directly with any feedback, comments, suggestions by emailing us at legalpodcast at car.org. Finally, don't forget all of the ways CAR Member Legal can help you stay in business and stay out of trouble. Of course, CAR members can call the hotline with any questions or issues at 213-739-8282, Monday through Friday, 9 to 6, and Saturday, 10 to 2, for transactional questions. Absolutely, and it's been pretty busy on the hotline lately, Um, so hopefully that means a lot of you know about the hotline and are calling us, Um, but yeah, we're always happy to hear from you. And of course, our other informational and educational materials can all be found at car.org under the risk management section. Head over there to check out our Q&As, quick guides, webinars, and more. And like I said, make sure you go to the COVID legal docs subsection of the risk management page. That's your one-stop shop for all the breaking news and developments about what you need to know as we navigate through what we're navigating through right now. So stay safe out there, stay happy, and talk to you next month.